Hey, thanks for tuning into the WB Podcast. This is your host, Emil Wang. And before we get started talking Parasite with Jeff Liu, just wanted to say this episode does contain a lot of spoilers. So to those of you who have not seen the movie Parasite yet, I highly recommend you watch it before you listen into this podcast episode. And now, Parasite. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. It's very, very different than what the Joker was. You mean a good movie? (laughs) Reference episode 62. And then the the girl, uh, the daughter goes and tries to sit on the toilet as just like sewage is like geysering out of it. I found myself being like, oh my god, that's so sad and so disgusting. I want my child to grow up in a world where crazy rich Asians made a difference. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to say that with a straight face. All right, on the phone, we have my good buddy, Jeff Liu. And Jeff, I am super stoked today because we get to talk about a movie about rich Asians and the movie doesn't suck. (laughs) And it doesn't have Aquafina in it. So I I think it's a (laughs) win-win. Best picture right there. What do you think? can you even be an Asian movie without Aquafina nowadays? <laughs> Apparently not. But we're not here to talk about Aquafina because because Aquafina sucks. We're here to talk Parasite, which is an awesome, awesome film. And there's so much to to peel away from there. But before we get into talking about this movie, I was curious how much uh how much Korean cinema have you seen, and have you seen a lot of uh, director Bong Joon Ho's stuff? So I've seen Bong Joon-ho's, the two big ones that made it to the States, uh, The Host and Snowpiercer. Mm -hmm. I like them both. I didn't actually know that he directed either one of them until um, I watched Parasite. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, he makes good movies that I've, like, watched in the past before. So, yeah, I mean, um, beyond those two, I've watched uh, My Sassy Girl, like, you know, kind of the popular movies from the 90s and stuff. Uh, we watched The Ring together, but I watched The Grudge by myself. Um, uh, well, also... nice work, dumbass. It's Japanese movies. Wait, no, The Grudge is Korean. Juwon's Japanese, dude. Juwon's Korean, I want to say. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> but I also watched, um, whatchamacallit? Old Boy. Old Boy, yes. <laughs> Old Boy yeah, was old. the, uh, um... Old Boy's the famous one. Uh, I saw the devil. Yeah, those those are also pr- some pretty pretty popular ones. One of the things that's very very uh, how should I say a staple of Korean cinema is one, you know, they're they're overly grotesque, which is a stark contrast to the the the, the soap opera dramas that they're that they're also famous for. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the famous Korean movies are all typically uh, very grotesque, very dark, and very Quentin Tarantino esque in like yeah. how gratuitous they use the blood there. Yeah, and they're also centered around revenge tales. I, I think yeah. those are always the um, 
the uh, kind of staples of what what those movies are. Old, uh, you know, Old Boy, uh, I Saw the Devil, um, yeah. The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a bit refreshing, and not to knock any of those other movies, but Bong Joon Ho's movies aren't necessarily focused on revenge. He, really, it's more of a discussion about class, and that that's pretty evident in. Uh, the host and uh, and Snowpiercer, which by the way yeah. is becoming like a, I think a TNT mo- uh, television series. Yeah, um, <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, well, one other film that actually uh, Bong Joon Ho did that's on Netflix is uh, Okja, uh, which I have not. Oh seen yeah, yet. I want to watch that. I have not watched it yet. Yeah, the, it's animated, right? No, what well, kind of? I mean, it has to do with like a, a large pig or something, or a large yeah, it's dog. A, it's a, it's a comment on the food industry. It's a super pig, yeah. It's <laughs> a super pig. Man, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I, I was really, I really wanted to watch it for a little while because uh, the whole premise of it is that they develop this one gigantic pig that can sustain like whole cities, but <laughs> like, and it's, it's like a moral question, like, oh, it's a, it's a gigantic pig, so we're killing one pig instead of a bunch of pigs that's more moral right and then like it takes you through this pig's journey and everything like that and yeah it's supposed to be really sad and like uh you know so charlotte's web on steroids i got it basically yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. um what, what's cool about bong joon ho also is he works with uh a lot of the similar actors um or a lot of the same actors excuse me in his movies so the person that plays the patriarch in this film um in, in the parasite kang ho song and he's, he was also in The Host and in Snowpiercer. Uh, Bong joon Ho's also done a lot of work with Tilda Swindon, apparently. She yeah. was in Okja. She was in uh, in Snowpiercer. So it, it's kind of Scorsese-esque where he works with the same people over and over, which I think does... It, it's, also, it's also Quentin Tarantino-esque. Like, um, actually, when uh, Bong Joon-ho was at the Oscars uh, and Quentin Tarantino took the stage... There's a really funny photo of him, like, totally fanboying over him. <laughs> so, like, there, there's more than a little bit of admiration uh, for Bong, Joon, uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, for specifically Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about the movie a little bit. I mean, it, it's touted as a comedy thriller. And uh, for you listeners out there, we are going to get into spoilers. Jeff and I aren't going to go through and break down and explain the whole uh the, all the events of the movie so definitely at this point if you haven't seen the movie yet check it out for the sake of watching it but also check it out for the sake so that you can follow along with this podcast um so this movie again is touted as a comedy thriller do you do you think it fits that genre yeah you know honestly it the the pacing is a lot different than american movies and it's not it's it's a dark comedy, but it still has light moments. Um, and I I found myself laughing a lot mm-hmm. uh, at kind of like I, I don't know like it, it, it's kind of like awkward jokes or like the the big thing that I I laughed about was when they were trying to kick out the uh, the housekeeper I want to say, and then mm-hmm. the dad. And the son were going over lines. Yes. I was laughing my ass off. I was like, <laughs> oh my god. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is um, like that. I know exactly what scene that you're talking about, and and the son is kind of mouthing some of the words that the dad is supposed to say. Yeah. But the way that the scene is cut is hilarious is because their apartment is so shitty that there's no shot where the other two the daughter and the wife aren't in it either right exactly. so they're yeah. just kind of in the background like sweeping the floors and at one point you know that the daughter's just kind of sitting there like watching it too because she's bored um, yeah it's just a really good reflection of just how shitty their life is and yeah um as tragic as, as it is and we'll get into it, it it's also a major aspect of the comedy in this film um, they're so poor that they leave the door, uh, the windows open to, to get free fumigation. Yeah, it's, um, oh, man. Yeah. yeah, and and there's a lot yeah. of a lot of. Scenes... I, I mean, and there were there were times, there were parts that I laughed at that I didn't think I should be laughing at either. Mm-hmm. Like um, when God, like uh, the family's bathroom has this really elevated toilet, <laughs> yeah, and. Like three quarters through the movie, there's a flood in the bathroom, and then the the girl, uh, the daughter goes and tries to sit on the toilet as just like sewage is like, <laughs> I don't I don't know how like geysering out of it. I found myself being like, oh my god, that's so sad and so disgusting. But the pacing at which the that scene is shot to is like, I I kind of have to laugh at like just how horrendous it all turns out but i mean i felt terrible for doing it it made me feel really awkward two things about that michelle was saying that there are houses like that in in korea that and it makes sense right especially if you're living in a sub-basement apartment um, you are below street level so you know plumbing alone you 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 don't have the what the height leverage hydraulic head (laughs) yeah god if if only somebody here was a professional engineer they'd be able to explain this you'd have the hydraulic head to you know push that up they don't have it if it's down on the you know the lower subface yeah so they so they have to build it up as high as possible um one thing that michelle pointed out to me is that poor people in korea and and again i like this this isn't necessarily me picking nits and, and i understand you know how they live is a metaphor but she said that poor people don't really live like at the bottom of the hills. If anything, mm-hmm. like all the poor people live up on the mountainsides, like kind of you know favela ish. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's not exactly a, a an accurate representation of Korea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, it's a metaphor, and for the purpose of the visuals, especially that scene. When they're, you know, descending when, into when the they're subway. Descending, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's when they're descending and it's raining hella hard and it's basically water falling and pooling at their house. Um, it, it is it is a good visual for the sake of the film. Yeah. But yeah, going back to the parts where you know we we should or shouldn't be laughing. I mean, I I think there's just those moments sprinkled out through the whole thing, even at the very end when they're kind of showing the. Uh, uh, like a kind of gliding over the murder scene. Um, the the crazy dude who lived in the basement had been stabbed by that skewer, and yeah. there's these dogs that are like licking like the licking hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, there's just so many odd scenes in there that that are pretty characteristic of uh, Bong Joon Ho's uh, movies. Like you know, you th- I think about Snowpiercer, right? Where um, one scene that really sticks to my mind is all those kind of brainwashed children. Uh, singing that song about how like there's this amazing train that if it stops moving we all freeze and die and it's like a choreographed sort of scene where you're just kind of like what the fuck like 
there's a lot of that in this film, but a little more subtle, right? Like the whole. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. There was there was one scene that I like was laughing my ass off when the original housekeeper was doing her impression of a North oh, Korean yes, newscaster. Yes. I died. I was like, <laughs> that's that's so good. <laughs> I'm curious how the audition went. Is if if that was actually part of the audition? They're like, hey, yeah. yo, look, as part of the story, you have to do this, um, the North Korea hype woman, or it just happened to be one of that lady's talents. And they're like, dude, this is this is comedy this is gold. We got to throw it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but man, there's so many good scenes in there that uh, definitely a comedy. I, I I'm more curious about if you think it was a thriller. Or if you yes. think it was more of a drama. Okay. No, I mean, I thought it was a thriller. But there mm. were times where uh, I got really anxious during this film. And yeah, I, I mean, like, I get that it was a con. But, um, but like, I have to go back to the pacing of this film. The pacing of this film, it starts off. Have you ever watched the movie, uh, the show Shameless? I've seen the couple episodes in the beginning, but I never got into it. Um, but I know what it's about. It's just a family of a bunch of con artists. Exactly. So this is exactly how the first like half of the movie felt to me. Like, oh, I've seen this before. It's funny and it's kind of like, oh, downtrodden and like all that sort of stuff. And it, it gives you that feeling that it's like shameless, honestly. Like I was sitting there, I was like, this is like Korean shameless. It feels very, very close, you know? And it felt as though everything was encompassed. Like everything in the first half was like, oh, this is an episode of shameless. Like they're probably setting up like uh, the season arc where they they go and con this family, right? And then all of a sudden, the tension hits. Like uh, the camping trip was the big thing. And I was like, Oh my god, like and the 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 thriller aspect of it kicked into overdrive really really hard. Yeah, when the I, when the housekeeper shows up, right? That's I, I mean, it wasn't just the housekeeper. It was like, oh, the housekeeper and then we got into this fight and then the family is coming back. Oh my god, when they were trying to clean the house, I was like, <laughs> "Oh, how are they going to do this?" you know? And, yeah. Yeah, and this is a little bit Monday morning quarterbacking, but I, I thought that scene would have been awesome if they shot it in eight minutes real time. Like, it just kind of like flowed. 24? <laughs> no, not, not 24, but uh, there's a there's an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia that that I remember where it's, it's literally one shot, and they're, uh-huh. they have 20 minutes to prepare for um, a health inspector's visit. So it just, the camera just kind of follows random characters as they go through, like... Um, basically doing the same thing, like hiding a bunch of like shady shit, you know, hiding like I think there was like some drugs or something that they had at the bar that they're trying to hide. Uh, I thought it would have been pretty cool if they had done that for this. But again, you know, the scene was still executed very well. And, yeah. you know, everything that they were doing was deliberate, intense, you know, the way she was chopping, um, chopping the meat. And and I love how that the scene kind of kicks off where she's just like, what the fuck is Ramdom? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man. And I mean, like from that moment forward, it became a thriller to me because it like I I I knew we were moving towards a a point where um the poor family would break. Like something was going to happen because they kept on referencing the the dad's smell 
And I was like, oh, God, this is going to come back. Like, this is this going to do something. And I kept on waiting for that moment. I, I know that they sprinkled it in as, like, foreshadowing. So I was sitting there. I was like, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And then when it actually happened at the garden party, I was like, it, it like it was almost a relief when he stabbed the um the owner of the house and i was like oh god that you know like finally there's there's like it was it was cathartic to to have that happen because like everything with with the person in the basement like when he was going to come out and like you know, wreak havoc and and do all this other sort of stuff. I actually was kind of surprised at how violent um, he became, you know, and I think it's because his wife uh, oh, died. Yeah, died. But yeah, I mean, like that, that was just like a quick turn, you know, and it got so violent so fast. Like it went from zero to like 200 in the span of like 20 minutes. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it it was it was a build up, right? It was it was yeah. um basically starting from that night when they when they go back down to their house, you know, it's flooded with sewage. They have to spend the night at the uh at the gymnasium. Yep. yep. And then and then they have to go about their day going back to work for them. And uh not a credit to me and my genius ideas, this is something that I read, but I, I think it was it was interesting to see how um the contrast between the rich and the poor, right? This is, you know, the, the woman, uh, the mother of the family, who I think is a fantastic actress, is like, oh yes. my god, the rain was was a blessing, you know, cleared everything up, um, and she's just so oblivious to everything else going on, and that just kind of contributes to kind of the the buildup of anger of that dad. Um, you know, he sees this garden party that he has to dress up as a Native American for. Yeah, I like you definitely feel that breaking point uh, coming. And uh, I I, I agree. I think it is a it is a good it is a release that I think we as the audience are looking for. But but what I think is interesting about this movie is it's not a a good guy who reaches a um, a breaking point who wants to kill the bad guy. Right. It's it's very, very different than what the Joker was, where you were. You, you mean a good con- movie? <laughs> <laughs> Reference episode sixty-two, right. um, the, where it's like you were, yeah, you, Joker was kind of the anti-hero, but you were also led to hate the Robert De Niro char- character who he shoots, right? I think in this film, nobody's a good guy, nobody's really a bad guy, right? Like the the rich people are weird, um, but it's also understandable that they're just oblivious. Yeah, you know, I, I think we say that from our perspective because i don't i don't think that we've ever experienced abject poverty to that level mm-hmm. but you've never seen the place i lived in new york but go on <laughs> you you didn't see the first place that i lived in la i literally oh. slept next to a trash can oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh your harry potter story i think i remember you were under a staircase yeah. or in a pantry right that was Irvine. Okay. <laughs> a long litany that was of an upgrade. Living yeah. situations. But um, uh, uh, so, I mean, I don't think it was just the fam, the rich family that we were looking at. I mean, it was a, it was a commentary on everything. Um, and, and it all culminated. I, I mean, it, there wasn't like this long exposition about the differences between rich and poor, like, you know, the differences between rich and poor, but the way that they portrayed it was so stark, you know, um, the dad, the, the dad who, um, drove, 
the rich mom all around town the night before the garden party and the rich mom just being absolutely oblivious to like the problems you know what i'm saying it's kind of throwing wealth like there's nothing wrong inherently with what she's doing she's going to throw a garden party for her kid you know but it's everything else it's like oh all of a sudden you know and then she was able to get a cellist. She was able, you know, all of her rich friends could come descending down to, could take the day off of work. It wasn't really a big deal, that sort of thing. It's like the frivolity of it all, you know, like you're, you're talking, you're, you're working next to a person who probably, you know, that he probably doesn't know, you know, how long his food is going to last on his paycheck and here you are, and it's just a measure of excess the way that you live, you know. Um, they live in a sub-basement somewhere, and you live in this, like, gorgeous, like, uh, you know, architect-designed uh, super house and everything like that. Everything that they put into the lead-up to the garden party was a commentary of how the rich just don't, like they oblivious. they have an ex they, but they have an expectation too i mean they they expect that these people work for them and like they expect that these people should understand the special needs that they have you know like when the mom was setting up the tables and the dad was like shh my kid is sleeping yeah <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying like that's 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 a real like kick in the kick in the ass you know that, that that's like you're you're forcing these people to do extra work and you justify it by saying listen we're paying you overtime just treat this as your job because they think that they can so it's 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 definitely a leverage of power there and again there's nothing inherently wrong with it you know god knows that i'm guilty of just like listen you know you're being paid for this like let's just get this done sort mm -hmm. of thing you yeah know, that's with, me that's me yelling at taco bell workers um, or or vendors or what whatever have you you know but i i know enough that like i've been yelled at to that point exactly where i i, I don't I, you know like i i try not to be this you know entitled guy when i'm when i'm working with anybody like like whatever their income level may be if anything, it is a story about a rich family that is a little bit extreme in their in their lack of uh, in their lack of nuance. Though, to, to their credit, and again, I'm giving credit to fictional characters, but they talk about you know the um, you know the, the the drivers and you know crossing the line, and they they still consider like Mr. Kim, uh, you know, to be a, a relatively classy dude who just has that smell. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, I think they still have the capacity to understand what you know who's really kind of low class and who's better low class. But you're right. At the end, there there becomes a pretty clear line of you know wh how much of a leap it would take for them to be on their level. And I think that's kind of what that that party at the at the end culminates to. Um, I, I know we're kind of short on time, so I do want to jump to the. Uh, each of the individual characters. And uh, I, I want to start with the mom because I think the mom is probably the least developed character, but I find mm -hmm. the way that she was presented in her um, 
her end to be kind of pretty interesting because she was she was the muscle. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just that. Uh, I think at the beginning of the film, you don't know what her motivations are because she really doesn't have any. I, I think it, the whole thing was that her family is close to her. That's all she needs. So she doesn't she could give a damn what anything else in the world looked like, you know. But at the end, like Christ, uh, when her daughter gets stabbed, when her husband, you know, is like accosted, all this sort of stuff, you see the emotion there and you see like when when they were um you know struggling to keep, uh, clean up the house before the owners came along you saw the motivation there um she was the one who was texting the other three while they were stuck under the table uh with the weirdest sex scene that i've ever seen <laughs> by the way yeah n- n- next time i'm getting frisky i'm gonna be like yo buy me buy, 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 me, <laughs> buy, buy me burritos <laughs> I, I think I mean that that's that's the wonderful thing about this. Like the characters are so well drawn out that even the one that you that uh, that you know you you may consider the one that's least developed. Actually, I think it was just a matter of like, yeah, it's a she's a simpler character, but like her emotions are extreme when when it's pushed to oh, it. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, the the daughter. I I also thought that the daughter was probably the smartest of the bunch and probably the most savvy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she has some really good scenes, especially in the beginning when she kind of asserts her dominance over um, over the, the family. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's kind of a reflection of, you know, how um, how clueless and how desperate the mother was. Yeah. Um, but also it, it kind of was was a reflection of how how much power she had over each of the situations. And, you know, for those of you who aren't of Asian culture, the way that she communicated with uh with the mother is is or any other older adults that you're working for is a huge no-no right mm-hmm. there was none of the bowing there was you know that there was a lot of hand gestures and you know like things that were were completely out of what's acceptable in, in korean cultural norms so uh, i thought that her performance was really good the the brother said something how you know the, when she sat in that bathtub she looked like she belonged in the rich family, um, right? Which I, I thought it was uh, her end is kind of like she gets killed. I, I don't really know what to make of it. I, I feel as though it's I, I I think that it's a commentary of like even if you are smart, even if you have the tools, even if you seem like you were made for that sort of life that the challenges in climbing that ladder will keep you down. And even the people who take their shot, who are most likely to hit it, if you don't start up in a in a high enough social position, you can still get cut down, you know, just just by just by the mere fact of you being who you are. So I I I, I interpreted it as that because nobody got out of there. You know, like nobody like and this is this is kind of fast forwarding to what, you know, our, your interpretation of the end is. But, I, you know, like at the end, the, nothing changed, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> nothing really yeah, changed. Another rich person moved into the house and they were still in the same sub basement, you know, afterwards. So, yeah. And the, and the dad uh, ends up a step even lower, which, exactly. you know, he he kind of. I, I think really spells everything out right where he's like, you know, no matter how hard you come up, like plan things, you just, 
you know, if you're dealt these cards and you're, you're fucked basically. Yeah. And, um, which is why Some he... people just want to watch the world burn, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that the dad banishing himself to that basement is also, again, an, another metaphor, right? Where he, yeah. he realizes that he's not getting out. Um, I think that one is a little bit more straightforward. I, I find the son who I would say is the, the primary, the, the main character of the story, his ending very interesting. And the biggest question I have before we talk about his ending and kind of what it means, the biggest question I had was what was he going to do with that rock when he went down to the basement? Because leading up to it, you know, he he's talking to his jailbait girlfriend, which we're not going to get into, but also very fucking weird. Um, and he's, he's overlooking <laughs> the party and he's like, do you think I belong here? You know, she gives kind of a, a nervous nod, which is, you know, non-convincing. And he's like, okay, I'm going down, you know, I'm going downstairs. And I, I forget if he actually says I'm going downstairs to the basement or whatever, but he takes his little pet rock with him. And uh, in that moment, I, I thought that he was planning on killing the, the two down there, but there's some interpretations online that say he was bringing the rock with him as a peace offering. Um, so, so I've read that. I, I've read that one. I actually think, um, for me, it, it's it's additional class warfare, and I think he, because he picked up the rock again uh, on the worst night of his life, essentially, where the apartment gets flooded, mm-hmm. and you know he starts apologizing to everybody for like and saying everything is his fault. I think he believes that the rock is cursed, uh-huh. and he's bringing it to the basement to gift it to the other guy. So that he can carry the curse because he's down there anyway, so he can ascend again. I think it. I think it operates as an anchor for him. Interesting. Um, that's that's my whole thing. Uh, that's that's my interpretation of it. But I, I've heard I've heard the various other ones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like for him, for him to go down there and to kill those people, it, it would mean that he committed to believing that he belonged to that lifestyle of you know exactly. being a rich tutor but i think if we were to you know take a look at that scene and kind of understand that he did not believe his jailbait girlfriend's nod that he would belong um he would go and do the right thing and you know keep his conscience right and yeah. And in that case, then, yeah, it could be interpreted that he goes down there and maybe he was just going to give him the rock as a peace offering and let him go. Who, who right. knows, right? Because yeah. he never has a chance to to be proactive um, in, in what his plan was before he gets his head bashed in. Jeez, um, when he gets brained the second time, I was like, yeah, the twitch. <laughs> just a little hand twitch. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> the end uh, is much different than uh than the aforementioned joker where it it is clear that there is there is likely no happy ending there is no way to interpret the ending the father is going to stay down there in the basement his son is not going to make enough money to buy up that house Uh, right and and that's it it's bleak but it's true it's but you know like if he had started laughing in the courtroom like he did and then everybody in the courtroom all put on like korean face masks or something like that and then they brought him on a human wave into the city (laughs) and then he started doing a weird dance 
you know, maybe he would have gotten the best actor nod too. <laughs> oh man. Fuck uh... Joker, dude. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Oh man, I I I mean, you know what? I, I'll I'll give Joaquin the the best actor. He was a good actor in that film. It was just a shitty movie. Yeah, you know, you know, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Joaquin Phoenix is a good actor. You know, uh, in certain films, mm. okay, I give him credit for certain films. I do not give him credit. This is, you know, what the Oscars are always political. Okay, it was not. It was not a a coincidence when Denzel Washington and Halle Berry won Best Actor Actress nods the same year because Denzel did some great stuff and Training Day was one of it was a good film but it wasn't the one that he should have gotten an Oscar for so you know what like that's that's a load of crap honestly they pulled the same stuff with the Moonlight La La Land BS. The fact that La La Land was even nominated. La La Land is an awful movie. Okay? And I like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. I think they are great actors. That is not the movie to get nominated for like for, for the Academy, you know? Like I don't get it. I do not understand the the criterion that's being put forward. You know, I like I watched, I think I was telling you about this. I watched The Irishman. I don't understand the appeal of that movie at all. And and the only thing I can think of is it, it's all on nostalgia. It's all nostalgia for these old dudes getting back together and making a film, basically reprising their roles in all their other films and just kind of being a little that's, bit older. That's um, fine. Make the movie. I'm not saying don't make the movie. Go make the movie. It's that's not what, a best picture. That's what, that's what Ocean's 12 was, you know? <laughs> like Ocean's 11, Ocean's 13 was great. Ocean's 12 is like, hey – George Clooney's got a got a house up in Lake Como. Let's go spend the summer there. Uh, we can make a billion dollars while we're out there. Good for you. Do you? You know, I don't care. You know, Fast and Furious movies. You you really think that like street racers from Los Angeles are gonna end up in Dubai? No. Come on, man. Like, go ahead, make your fun movie. You know, but like, don't don't expect accolades for it. Get the hell out of here. Like, that's 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 a load of crap. I don't know. I mean, there's a reason why I don't watch the Oscars anymore. And very rarely do I actually be like, oh, that one best picture. I love, you know, let me put that on. Like there's like, I watch what I want to watch. And yeah. <laughs> and fortunately for me, a lot of times that those are just mindless action films, which, which is great. Um, I, I want to write, I want to wrap this up with uh, talk, you know, you and I often talk about the, the impact of you know, the, these films uh, as Asian Americans, kind of what that brings to the table. Uh, does this move the needle a lot for us in Hollywood? And I want to start with a big fuck yes. This movie, I mean, it, granted, I, I don't think it is super original in the sense of, you know, South Korean cinema, because there are a lot of movies like this already. Right. Um, right. Probably not made to the to the, the precision and uh, quality that, that this one is. But there are movies already like this that are, right. that are good social commentary uh, right. movies that aren't blatant and not, you know, <laughs> over the top the way Joker is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that this one re- really does represent what Asians can do. And I, and I think that really opens up a lot more worlds for us than just having an Asian American actor doing a, a formulaic story. I, I agree. I totally agree. 
Um, and I, I think that this does move the needle forward. And I, I know you don't care for crazy rich Asians, uh, but I guarantee you this movie didn't would not have gotten the buzz. And this is what the Oscar is good for. It is good that the Academy is telling people to go watch this movie. Okay. It's not necessarily, in my mind, a best picture. You know, it, it, it just... Yeah, Parasite. It's a good film. It's a thinker. It's it's you know it's it it makes a lot of things. It's not traditional Oscar bait. You know, there's a lot of things that it that this movie has going for it. Um, but you cannot deny the fact that Crazy Rich Asians started the whole. This is the year of the Asian, and you know, like Asians in cinema, cinema or whatever you know hashtags you you saw on Twitter over the last year and a half or so. This movie does not get the attention that it does without Crazy Rich Asians. It does further open it up, only because South Korean the South Korean cinematic industry is so much more well developed than any other place except for Hong Kong, and Hong Kong's going through some crap right now, you know. Hong like, Kong has not made a good movie in like 30 years. So I, I think they're 20. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I get that. But I mean, yeah. that's the continued influence of Chinese money yeah. in Hong Kong. You, they cannot make commentary on a lot of stuff anymore because it's being, it's being like screened by the communist party and you can't get funding when you have stars like Jackie Chan speaking out against your film industry and how you run films when you have stars like Jet Li afraid to make those sort of movies when all of those stars are starring in the shitty remake of Mulan I'm assuming that is like going to come out no I'm just saying like you have to turn to something else what I want to see is something on this level that's made by an American studio that's not starring you know great Mark Ruffalo is attached to a Parasite television series. Tilda Swinton is attached to a Snowpiercer television series. Why? You know, like, I don't care. (laughs) Like, I like Mark Ruffalo just fine. And Tilda Swinton makes a wonderful Asian lady. But, (laughs) like, until there's an American movie that's made to this quality that's not just, like, you know, pandering towards, you know, a certain group of people – like that's what we're shooting for. That's what parasite moves us towards, but you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. Well, to your point about crazy rich Asians, I, I agree. Like you, you, you wouldn't have uh you wouldn't have Malcolm X without family matters. I get it. Um, what I really hope for is that, you know, parasite is, is kind of the, the new norm, right? Sets, sets yeah. the bar high and, and, right. and the bar for what we do isn't crazy rich Asians anymore. And, and if kind of, we can all accept that, then, then yeah, hats off to Crazy Rich Asians for what they did. Um, wow, but... that's that's a that's a that's a huge concession from you. <laughs> oh my god, a year and a half later, a year and a half yeah. later, dude, I, I'm a father now. Okay, my perspective, my perception on life is totally different. I want my child to grow up <laughs> in a world where Crazy Rich Asians made a difference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to say that with a straight face. I know, um, right? <laughs> speaking of fatherhood, Jeff Liu, how's uh, how's life at home? Uh, life at home is good. It is hectic right now because we are preparing for baby Liu, 
Uh, yeah, but I I also want to you know I, I want to move towards a world where she can see stuff on television with people that look like her, see stuff in films with people that look like her, and you know imagine that she can do things because people who look like her are doing these things. So you know, <laughs> let's keep on moving the needle. Let's keep on moving the needle for uh, a baby Davis and a baby girl Lou. Yes, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> who, who, if we're lucky, will carry on the uh, the mantle of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we 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 put our burden on them already. <laughs> our rock, we gave them our rock. All right, Jeff. Well, yeah, go 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 to Home Depot. Do your landscaping thing. It was great talking to you, man. All right, cool. Good boy.